It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's real? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the What's Real podcast, episode 158. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my co-host, co-conspirator, co-contributor, and my co-tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jeremy George. What's going on, the J? Oh, the J's pumped up. Hey, Ed, we're back. We had a little breather. We'll get into some stuff. Why we had the What's Real Fridays at Midnight special last week, but we're back full on board with a full fledged What's Real episode. So you you know your boy has to be pumped, and I'm bringing back. You got it. Hey Ed, the Paul Sason Nation. Let's go one five Ocho. We have a great show lined up for you guys this week. Of course, we are back as the WWE is back on A and E this week after a week of WrestleMania. We have the WWE on A&E Biography on the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. And of course, the newest WWE rivals all about The Undertaker versus Randy Orton. And we have a double dose of Fridays at Midnight once again. What happens when a daydreaming cartoonist teenager uh, goes to the beach with his idiot friends? You'll find out in 1986's One Crazy Summer. And on the second half of that, we're going to head on down to the old Frankie Avalon place and try to worm on some chicks because it's 1994's The Stone Age. And of course, we're going to be talking some goofs and much, much more. So let's just get into it. The J, we had some stuff go on, some pretty big stuff. uh, After all, uh, whenever we were off, the WWE has been sold uh, to a company called Endeavor. It is the parent company of UFC. Um, They are combining companies, so to speak. Um, Vince McMahon will be owning 49% of the WWE, with 51% being owned by the Endeavor uh, company. And they will be combining forces from this point forward, and they will be an over a $20 billion enterprise. Uh, Vince McMahon will be the head of the WWE again. Um, so, yeah, I expect the product to go down the shithole, I'm assuming, uh, at some point, because he can't not meddle in anything. Um I don't know if this is a good thing or not. I kind of don't think that it is, frankly. Um, it's just going to become more of a an entity than it's been a wrestling company, so to speak. And frankly, with the last how many years with Vince running it, hasn't been too great anyway. So I know time will tell, but like it's not something that I'm super excited about. The Jay, I don't know about you. Well, that's that's what I was going to mention first and foremost. Hey, Ed, uh, like you just mentioned, it's definitely a wait and see kind of thing, and it's going to take a while. To see how this goes. I mean, it doesn't officially close uh, this deal until uh, later this year anyway. Uh, but but the case is, is that Endeavor will own 51% of the new company, while current WWE shareholders will own 49%. Uh, so, you know, Vince McMahon, like you were mentioning, will stay on as the new company's executive chairman. Dana White remains president of US, UFC. Nick Khan serves as president of WWE and Ari, uh, Ari, I'm sorry, Emmanuel is the Endeavor CEO and he oversees it all. So the new company does not yet have a name. And and like we're talking about, many questions remain unanswered. I I did catch a blurb from TMZ that caught uh, Booker T and he was saying it's it's good for everybody. So I think that's a bad sign. Yeah, because because his opinions are always generally horrible. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, it's it's just going to be a really crazy thing to see how these two companies are going to work together. If there's going to be crossovers, I mean, can can they do something down the road where it's like Roman Reigns comes in and challenges John Jones? 
for the title. Yeah, let, or let's do that. Yeah, I'm sure that's a great idea. Let's let basically make it so that the wrestlers either get the shit kicked out of them or UFC basically gets accused of having fixed fights because that's what's <laughs> yeah. going to happen. So, it, dude, and it's kind of funny to me too because UFC's gone out of their way to kind of shit all over wrestling in the past. Vince has gone out of his way to be like, they're not competition. And now they're together. Like, it's, I don't, like, what are they going to do? Buy a boxing? Are they going to buy the WBC next? And then, you know, uh, like CZW and then Bellator. And then none of this will make any fucking sense. I mean, I don't, I don't know. And frankly, I mean, just judging from the shit that I see UFC do, they haven't been really lighting the world on fire with product and what they're doing lately either. Uh, and I'm not saying they're not having good fights and shit. I'm just, they're not expanding. And it's kind of right. the same with WWE. Like, WWE's done a better job of that. Like, we'll get into later in the show. Like, they've expanded to, to having programming on A&E and things like that. But, you know, I also know that the WWE is going to be up for a new TV contract sooner than later. And frankly, I don't know how, you know, how that's going to go uh, with this. Um, you know, how we are with, with wrestling and, and through the years and the way everything's been. Wrestling's been kind of connected to the USA Network for such a long time. And it'd be kind of a shame to see them leave USA and go to some other weird entity where they don't really belong. Kind of how they did years ago when they went to Spike TV. And it just wasn't the same, even though it was during a major hot period in wrestling. But I don't know, man. I just... It's weird, and I'm trying not to like put on my old man pants here, but it just seems like as time goes by, like I'm just kind of floating away from what they're doing. No, I agree. It, we we use the term here on the show constantly about the WWE. It's the oxymoronic term that we came up with: corporate professional wrestling. Which the two, you know, the WWE just got so big once once it became publicly traded. They pulled the curtain back, you know, Vince McMahon all those years ago, admitting to the public that, that it was a fixed sport and all that. It, it completely changed the product we grew up with. And, and it is what it is. And, and then comes in with this, all the kind of little questions, like how, how this impacts impacts wrestler or fighter pay. And oh, yeah. an ESPN reference article I, I had post I had brought up said that several UFC fighters tweeted asking what this means for their pay. And ESPN correspondent was saying the answer is probably nothing. Uh, it says like when Endeavor bought the UFC in 2016 for more than $4 billion, the percentage of revenue going to fighters did not increase. So it's, it's basically likely to be no different. But it also comes into play questions like, does this impact media rights? Will WWE go back to a pay-per-view model? And ESPN says it will absolutely impact them. Media rights are one of the big drivers of the merger and the timing of it. WWE's television deal with Fox for SmackDown expires in the fall of next year. The same goes for WWE's TV contract with USA Network, which is owned by Comcast and NBC for Raw. So WWE also has a deal with Comcast for its vast content library and monthly premium live events, such as WrestleMania, which we'll be covering, to be on the Peacock streaming service. That extends through 2025, the year the UFC's right deal with ESPN ends. So there is a lot, lot to this. And I imagine, too, because we've talked about this on the show in the past, that you're going to see how NBC Universal and Fox aren't really going to want to do business with each other like this anymore because they weren't happy about a lot of stuff. The WWE's had to dictate a lot of things certain ways because Fox wanted certain people on SmackDown and USA's like, well, we're getting shortchanged over here. 
And it's just too many moving parts. So I don't think that they're going to be able to do the TV contract the way that they did before. Because instead of Raw going to a channel or a network and SmackDown going to a network, like whatever network gets them is going to want all of their programming. Not exactly. one or the other. Right. And, and it's funny because you mentioned when we were kind of cutting up a little bit uh, you know, about the boxing aspect. But that was brought up in the ESPN article where they asked, could this new group pursue boxing as well? And the answer to that was with the world's preeminent pro wrestling promotion and MMA league under one roof, which will trade on the New York Stock Exchange as TKO, it only makes sense that boxing, the third major combat sport, would be heavily explored. So no joke there, hey Ed. And, and another big thing uh, to point out is how will Vince McMahon's role impact WWE from a creative perspective? And the ESPN article's opinion is since he purchased the then WWF in 82, he has been ultra hands-on, as we've been talking about. McMahon oversaw the business side and was responsible for crafting storylines and everything that we know. When he retired last summer, as we've fully discussed, Triple H took over, and he is driving the uh, creative direction. The storylines uh, obviously have changed, and new stars were created. Uh, and it was underutilized and underrated talents being pushed. You know, somebody like Austin Theory and things like that. And so it's going to be really interesting that he hasn't returned on screen. So we don't know exactly the inner workings of Vince and Triple H's relationship. But the bottom line is their father-in-law uh, and son-in-law in real life. So, I mean, this this whole thing is is just going to be, as we're discussing, I mean, it's it's definitely good to, to talk about this on the podcast. This is huge news. But it's going to take some time to see what really uh, this whole thing kind of where it goes in fruition. Absolutely. And we'll keep an eye on that. We'll be talking about it as the months move along here on the show. But uh, they also had their biggest show of the year uh, just a, a couple weekends ago uh, with WrestleMania 39. We didn't cover it here on the show, but I guess we can go through some of it uh, as we do here on the show. You watched the show, The Jay. I did not. Um, but let's get into it. Night one, uh, we saw Austin Theory defeat John Cena by pinfall in a match that I pretty much expected to go that way uh, in 11 minutes and 20 seconds to retain the United States Championship. Uh, from everything that I heard, this this is one of the worst matches on the entire card. I, I'll tell you this at the outset here. Hey, Ed, just going in with our podcast on episode 157, we did our WrestleMania 39 uh, WrestleMania Goes Hollywood preview. We were pretty spot on throughout considering how much content we covered in the preview, yep. except for the, the main event. So we'll, we'll get into it. But uh, this starts with the spot on this. We were kind of saying it'd be a, a roughly 10 to 15 minute match, which it was, and it would, it would be pretty good and that Cena would go over. <laughs> and that's that's what happened. But uh, I, I definitely enjoyed this. It was entertaining. And I think Austin Theory is, is you know definitely in stride. Absolutely. Uh, the Street Profits won the four-way, uh, the WrestleMania Showcase Fatal Four-Way Tag Team Match in eight minutes and 30 seconds, something that we both called as well. Yep, that was an interesting match just for the fact that the Street Profits were involved in Ricochet. <laughs> That's the best I could say about that. I mean, Alpha Academy does their part, but the Viking Raiders, I don't know. It's just kind of a weird gimmick for the modern era, you know, and, and Strowman, you know how we feel about him here on the show. Yeah, I don't like any of these teams except for the Street Profits. And I do like Ricochet, but I don't even like Alpha Academy. I think they've just been on TV just kind of floundering for over a year now. So it's like, whatever. Um, there, there was one move I'll point out. Hey, Edward, uh, Chad Gable actually did uh, holding German suplex to Braun Strowman. 
Yes. Which is pretty impressive for the I, size differential. And I don't even like that because I'm like, Braun shouldn't be taking those moves, but it doesn't matter. Good point. He's, he's a fucking goober anyway at this point, just in, stuck in tag teams. Um, we saw Rollins defeat Logan Paul in 16 minutes and 15 seconds by pinfall. Um, that's fine. I mean, that, how was the match, though? Was it good? It was It was kind of the show stealer we were talking about. or I, I had said that. I'll say for myself personally, I was kind of – trying to sniff out in our preview what might be a show stealer. And I feel like this this kind of came up to that. Logan Paul had a really cool entrance. They did a lot of good stuff. Super athletic match, tons of good spots. KSI uh, ended up being this mascot that had come down with Paul because he promotes that energy drink or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, he got put through the table and, or whatever. Yeah, he like pulled him in. They actually hit that perfect because that was a pretty tough kind of sequence to do. So, yeah, it was very entertaining and a, a really solid match. We also had a six-woman tag team match that saw Trish Stratus, Lita, and Becky Lynch defeat Damage Control's team of Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Sky in 14 minutes and 40 seconds by pinfall. Um, seems fine, but dude, 14 minutes and 40 seconds seemed a little long for this one. That was my that was my big point about it. it was it's definitely long, but it was still a pretty good match. You know, fun, creative moments. Trish looked good. Lita did pretty good. You know, seeing the, the two former uh, now Hall of Famers uh, back. With, with, with looks like uh, they're going to do a run. Uh, these yeah. two women, they've been on Raw the last couple weeks. So, uh, but yeah, this this was a little bit too long, but still a, a pretty good match, um, all things considered, with, with the length. Uh, we saw the Battle of the Mysterios as Ray beat his son Dominic by pinfall in 14 minutes and 55 seconds. I heard from a lot of people that this match was really good. Yeah, fun match, a lot of good spots. Uh, Bad Bunny and, and the Judgment Day involved. Uh, you know, so there's there's a lot of fun stuff in this. Uh, Ray celebrating at the end after his Hall of Fame induction the week the weekend too was really cool. So yeah, really really good fun match uh, to do a father son. Which that that was another thing to mention. Hey, they were promoting this as the first ever father son match at WrestleMania, and I think they caught themselves because of course Vince McMahon faced Shane McMahon before. So there you go. So, this was the second. Yeah. Me- meanwhile, they'll be like, he's not Shane's not really his son. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's Chief J- he's Chief J. Strongbow's real life son, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, we had the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship on the line, and we saw Rhea Ripley defeat Charlotte Flair by pinfall in 23 minutes and 35 seconds. And I've heard pretty consistently from people that this was probably the match of the entire weekend. Outstanding match. Uh, they took a little bit to go. Uh, first half was kind of building it up and things. But then they just really went into high gear. We talk about Charlotte's athleticism all the time. She brought it. Rhea Ripley, as we said, we weren't big on her. You know, you always had that quote here on the podcast about Rhea that she was really, really, really okay. And, yep. and now she's beyond that. Now she's pretty, pretty good and getting better. Uh, so with with Charlotte able to go like she does, this was an excellent match. And like you said, could could have been the the match of the the weekend if if uh, you know you wanted to argue that. Uh, we saw Pat McAfee defeat The Miz by pinfall in three minutes and 40 seconds in an unannounced match where I saw George Kittle got, uh, you know, brought down and he got into it a little bit too. Uh, whatever. I mean, they probably would have been better off announcing this, but for it to be three minutes and 40 seconds, I guess I kind of see why it just got tacked on. Uh, what do we say all the time with WWE pay-per-views, especially the big ones, there's going to be a lot of filler. And that's what this was. This was complete filler. I mean, fun stuff seeing McAfee and Kittle, but uh, other than that, yeah, it's just like complete filler shit. And the main event was for the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship, and we saw Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn defeat the Usos by pinfall in 24 minutes and 15 seconds. 
Uh, I heard this was also a really, really good match. Awesome match. Uh, I'm really glad they made a vented it. When we were doing our preview, we were assuming that the women, uh, Rhea Ripley and Charlotte, were going to main event. Uh, this this main eventing, I think, worked and was an awesome match and a great way to go off the show because of how over KO and Sammy together are celebrating with the crowd. And the uh, big, big thing to point out, as you know, Hayad, this was the longest uh, undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship run of all time. Uh, yep. So it was ended here at WrestleMania, but uh, what better better way to end it? I thought I thought that was was really good booking. And we move on to night two. Uh, it started out with a singles match between Brock Lesnar defeating Omos by pinfall in four minutes and fifty five seconds. And boy, do we look like geniuses because we were like, it'll be less than five minutes. Less than five minutes. We were in there by five seconds. Yeah, it was what we thought it was. They're they're kind of propping Omos up as as that he like dominated three quarters of the match, but. It's like, come on, at the, at the end of the day, like even when you know, watch it, as I point out with my nine-year-old son, Jace, like he was just like, what was that? Like that ending stunk. Because le- le- like they didn't build it up to to Lesnar, like trying to F5 him and not being able to do it or anything. He yep. just got beat up for four minutes and then F5 him. And then he loses, which is a guy that's the size of almost probably shouldn't lose to just one F5. That's, no. that's just my line of thinking. Not um, if you want to build him up. We had the fatal four-way tag match between the women's WrestleMania showcase teams again in eight minutes and 25 seconds. Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler defeated Liv Morgan, Raquel Rodriguez, Natalia Shotzi, and Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville by submission. Kind of weird, too, because I don't know if you saw this or not, but on uh, Raw last night, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez won the women's tag team championship off of... Uh, basically Trish and Becky. I did see that, yeah, with Trish's had, turn. Yeah, and I'm sorry, dude, but this is just my line of thinking here. Uh, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez should not be that team. They certain Neither one of them should have been pinning Becky at all. I don't care if there was a turn. I don't care what happened. I just disagree with it, and it just kind of shows you again that they just don't really have a plan for the women's tag belts. Like, ever since they've been created, They've just been kind of floundering around, not really a priority. That's kind of a shame, and it just kind of shows that, you know, they just don't – they're not building women's tag teams. That's the problem. It's just all makeshift fucking teams. So Yeah, that just doesn't work. No, you got to start – built like from NXT up, women should be built in tag teams if they're going to do this. If you're going to have belts. Yeah, it it just – you know, it's part of the effort that needs to go into it, but as we know, they're just not always about the effort. And, and the thing about this match is it was extremely mediocre, of course. But Ronda Rousey, we, we kind of called this too. Hey, Ed, she didn't take a bump and then just tagged in at the end to get to the submission win. But supposedly she has an arm injury. That's why. So, but still. It's well, like, then don't put her on the fucking show. Like, yeah, talk about an easy payday for her. I mean, good for her. But she probably made whatever the fuck just to do that. And, dude, I don't know. Just as a quick side note here, uh, just to, to get an opinion from you. Uh, let's say that in in three months, Ronda's contract's up. Do you see her coming back? It, I, it Not how it looks now. I yeah. don't think so. I don't think she wants to, and I don't think they'd be willing to pay her again because she's not moving the needle. She's basically mid-card again. She's not better than their main women that they had. There's too many women in the company already, and I don't think Ronda really adds anything to anything at this point. They'd be better off just using Shayna Baszler in her position moving forward. Yeah, as as you just said, she's in the women's four way at yeah. WrestleMania. Arm yep. injury or not, going over or not. Second match on the show, second yeah. night too. 
Uh, we had a triple threat match for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. We saw Gunther defeat Sheamus and Drew McIntyre by pinfall in 16 minutes and 40 seconds. Also heard this one was really good, but I think it's time they move all of these guys away from each other. Yeah, move them away from each other because they had a barn burner, as the great JR would always say. And hey, Ed, this might be the Jays match of the weekend. I'd, I'd have to think okay. about it. But my son and I went nuts for this. I mean, these dudes destroyed each other, as again, we predicted. And Gunther uh, going over, as we predicted, uh, just added to it. it. It was just great. Perfect timing. Just a little over 16 minutes is what I have. Uh, it was it was just a great IC title match, it, which really works because we always bitched about the IC title for years, yep. not meaning anything. And right now, Gunther's making it a meaningful title. And this match was exactly the IC title matches of old, what they should do. Yeah, that's good to, good to hear that. We had yeah, the, banger. the WWE Raw Women's Championship up for grabs, and Bianca Belair defeated Asuka by pinfall in 16 minutes and five seconds. Um, I don't know how good this match was or not, but I did see that Asuka basically tweeted and deleted uh, that she's kind of ready to just go back to Japan, which is unfortunate because, again, it, this would have been a good time to give her the belt. They have been pushing her pretty good lately. She kind of has a different character as of late. But she just lost in the shuffle, clearly. Yeah, they had, they had really cool entrances for this one. Bianca came out with a, a lot of little African-American girls and stuff. And uh, Asuka had uh, these uh, body doubles because they had the mask, you know, came out. And then she was the last one with the sick mask and took it off. Uh, so cool stuff there. Very competitive match. Very solid. I, I kind of was hoping for more, to be honest. But it was still a solid match. And I, I can't remember what I predicted. I think I did predict Bel Air. Yep. I know you predicted Asuka. Yep. Um, I wouldn't have mind if Asuka would have won. Uh, but but yeah, I, I think this could have been a little bit better. But but it's still still a really good match. And in a worked stupid moment of the evening, Snoop Dogg defeated The Miz by pinfall in two minutes and 20 seconds after Shane McMahon returned and promptly blew his fucking leg out. Yeah, I believe that Triple H in the post conference uh, press conference for Mania said that he tore his quad. So... Between Runs Father Vince, yeah, Father Vince, Sunshine, and son-in-law Trips, they've all had torn quad injuries, which I, is kind of weird. I'm just looking forward to the day where we see Stephanie blow her quads out on pay-per-view because yeah. it's probably. And then we coming. find out Linda did in her 80s at the yeah. nursing home. Yeah, might as well. They all just blow their quads out at some point, but uh, but yeah, not much to say about that one. Uh, Edge defeated the Demon Finn Balor by pinfall in a Hell in a Cell match in 18 minutes and 10 seconds. I didn't really hear or see a whole lot about this one. This was good. It's one of those ones. I, you predicted it really well, Hey, You said the stage was kind of weird for a Hell in a Cell. And, and I feel like that was a good prediction because that's kind of, there was just a little sense of awkwardness to it, although it was a really good match. Uh, one thing that really pisses me off nowadays, and we've discussed this, is the, the non-blood in WWE rule for Hell in a Cell and things like that. Just because the believability kind of goes down when you're getting slammed into a, a fence and just all those legendary matches with, with the bleeding. Because uh, it's it, it's kind of necessary, to be honest, in these kind of matches. Yep. And Edge threw the ladder at Finn Balor and he got uh, cut the hard way. He actually needed 14 staples. Yeah, So I that, that. that kind of added to the match. And, and they did some some cool uh, spots. There was a, a really good spot that kind of led towards the end where Trip uh, Edge was on a, a table in the ring. And there was kind of like this... Um, balcony kind of thing that in the middle of the cell that uh, Finn Balor climbed up to and he tried to coop the gras and Edge moved. So he came crashing through. 
So that was pretty cool. That led to the, the finish uh, with the concerto. Okay. Uh, so it was it was a solid match. I liked it. It was a really physical brawl. And it was one of those things like we always talk about with the variety. Like this was just like the violent, crazy hell in a cell portion of, of the WrestleMania weekend. And of course, the main event of night two, Roman Reigns defeated Cody Rose by pinfall in 34 minutes and 35 seconds to retain the undisputed WWE Universal Championship in kind of a surprise. Uh, I think a lot of people were expecting Cody to win the match. Um, it sounded good and everything, but the one thing that I was kind of like, ugh, about was like all the the overbooking. Other people running in, doing a lot of other shit. Um, you know, I just, it's weird to me that they, they're doing this this way. I just think that there is another way to go about it. I don't care that Cody lost, but I don't know, man. They're going to, again, they were in that weird spot with Roman for a while where it's like he can't lose the belt. Then they got into a spot where there were some guys that could take it from him. And they're going to fuck around and end up back in that spot again where they don't really have anybody to take the belt off Roman and they're really going to be stuck. Yeah, especially as we've been discussing, seeing a couple Raws post-Mania with Cody going into a program with Brock. You know, they didn't pull the backlash rematch stuff. and They, they have a pretty big show in Puerto Rico uh, coming up for their next pay-per-view. So it's going to be interesting to, to see what they decide to do. We'll, we'll find out on SmackDown, I'm sure, kind of where Roman Reigns is going to go uh, with his spot uh, if he is going to wrestle on this upcoming uh, pay-per-view card. But I can tell you, hey, this was an epic match. Uh, I agree with you, the run-ins and, and kind of booking through it off. But honestly, it's something I kind of expected with, with the storylines going on, with the bloodline and everything. So that was kind of not a surprise to me. And other than that, uh, these two just went balls out. They put together a really good match. I, I really enjoyed it. And I thought it definitely was a good uh, WrestleMania uh, main event to end both nights. All right. So... Uh, not too bad there for WrestleMania this year, it sounds like. So that's that's at least good news. I still hate the two-day thing. I'm always going to hate that, but it is what it is. But we are up against our very first commercial break. And whenever we come back, the wrestling talk continues as we're going to check out the WWE on A&E biography on the American Dream Dusty Rhodes and the latest WWE rivals on Undertaker versus Randy Orton. So stay tuned. We'll be back with that and much more right here on the What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for episode 159 of the What's Real podcast. Our coverage on WWE on A&E continues. It's the biography on the Iron Sheik and WWE rivals. It's Piper versus Hogan. Also, we have another exciting double feature for you. It's a double feature of Fridays at Midnight. This is Timothy Gaines with the What's Real Podcast, here representing Gooster Goose for episode 159. They guys talk about all kinds of crazy, hilarious stuff like Wooly Mammoth's meatballs, security guards like Ant Weapon X, Mugs Nut and Six Nuts a Day. I can't even keep up, man. Uh oh, there's a sloth bear! All that and much more next week on episode 159 of the What's Real Podcast. He's just a common man. And we're back, and it is time to get into WWE on A&E's biography. First up on the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Um, this is one that I was kind of worried about going into it, the J, because, I mean, there's not much about Dusty at this point that we don't already know. Um, but I was really surprised by this one. Um, it was more of, like, the oral history of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, as told by his family 
including Dustin Rhodes, which I thought was cool. Um, his wife, his daughters. That's what I liked about this because they went through like the timeline and then they would go back and talk to the fam- the family about certain moments in time. And I thought that's what kind of saved it. It gave kind of like a unique perspective on this one that we necessarily haven't heard. I mean, we've heard some of this stuff periodically, but kind of packaging it all together in a, and, and it was like almost two hours, I think it was. So like, I was pretty impressed with it overall just because of that. It, it was really cool at the very beginning. It starts off at where WrestleMania of last year, WrestleMania 38, Cody's in the bus talking yep. to his mom where he was hiding out. So uh, just wanted to point that out since that was like pretty much the very first shot and, and opening to all this uh, with Cody starting to talk about his father. Uh, but yeah, I completely agree, agree with you. The testimony from from his family, all four of his kids and his widow. Uh, and of course, they had people like Magnum TA on it. Um, his, yep. his brother was on it, who I've never La- heard yeah, from. Yeah, his brother Larry was on it. That I thought that was really cool because that's somebody I've never heard the, from exactly. seen before in my life. So, so that helped a lot. And, and you know, of course, they start all the way back when he was a kid and explained that he truly was, you know, obviously that was a, a true to life thing. He was the son of a plumber. His father was a hardworking yep. plumber and he lived in a, a, a kind of neighborhood that he was the only white kid basically. Yep. Which was a yep. unique upbringing. And they said that too, that's, you know, he never like the, growing up, they never realized that they were underprivileged at all. Um, his brother kind of, you know, framed him as like, you're ne- you were never going to outwork dusty with anything. He was always going to outwork everybody with everything, which completely makes sense when you understand his career. Um, of course, they get into his early days in professional wrestling, of course, teaming up with Dick Murdoch uh, and, you know, doing like the redneck roughnecks kind of thing as heels, which is absolutely where he really started to make his name. Um, that, as you know, the Jay, that tag team is considered very legendary by a lot of people. Um and it's, it really got him a foothold in the business. And obviously, you could work with somebody like Dick Murdoch, who was a veteran at the time, uh, to kind of get where he needed to be. Um, and that set him up, obviously, for finding success with the championship wrestling from Florida in the 1970s. And that's where he crafted the American Dream persona, started doing the promos like we know that he could do. And, you know, it's it's really difficult for, I think, a lot of people to understand this who aren't familiar or didn't live through the time periods or anything. Uh, because, it, it, and boy, did they frame something here a little fucked up that was funny to me. Um, but I'll get into that in a minute. But Dusty in Florida was such a big deal. Um, he won, and and I liked how they had Hulk Hogan on this a lot too because I th- and believe it or not I thought Hogan was actually pretty genuine in this. Yeah, he just uh, talked about being a fan of Dusty's really uh, because he's from Florida and that's where he was as a teenager. Um, make no mistake about it, Dusty Rhodes was Hulk Hogan before Hulk Hogan, and he did it in a time where the beefed up strongman thing wouldn't have worked. He was the everyman. That's what made him extremely popular. Um, he was, you know, very recognizable to people as somebody that they would, you know, may know. Um, and Dusty Rhodes is, and we talked about this forever, the J. Dusty Rhodes is the anomaly of anomalies. Um, he's a big fat guy, not particularly good looking at all, spoke with a lisp, but he could talk. And 
it, it's that non-threatening kind of na- like the everyman quality to them that without a doubt made him a star and add in his promo ability. Yeah, I was going to well. say combined with his natural charisma. And yeah, because he had a shitload of it. There's very few. Dude, okay, because we could speak from experience with him. We've met Dusty Rhodes in person. And two minutes in speaking with him, like it's abundantly clear. Like he could work a room. It's He's not intimidated dealing with people whatsoever. The charisma kind of radiates from him. He's, he comes across as a nice guy. It was a, meeting him is one of the coolest wrestling moments I've ever had. I was telling I, my I wife. 100% say that. I, I know where it is. It's in the ROH show that we went to. I purchased the DVD and I put the Polaroid of, of yep. me in there. And I was telling her about it where Dusty has me in the headlock, which is yep. just So you technically class. got worked by Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> yeah, because that's another thing <laughs> I, I wanted to mention. Hey, Ed, uh, we could come right back to where we're at chronologically. But uh, back when they were talking about his early days and his brother Larry speaking about how good of an athlete he was, the, the description of that it was it, it spoke to me so much because you know me like what, what did I tell people when they asked me how I fell into like professional wrestling and went to make independent movies and stuff? For professional wrestling, it was that combination of athleticism and theater, and that's yep. exactly what Dusty saw because they said he was like in theater and stuff, and he was this good athlete. And they said he was just destined to find professional wrestling because of that, due to the fact that it combined both both forms of uh, you know sport and, and art. And dude, you got to really give Dusty a lot of credit because if you think about the time period that he got into professional wrestling, I mean, you had the gorgeous George stuff. Um, a lot of it was still ethnically based. You know, the Bruno was loved by the Italians, and you know that kind of stuff. Um, Dusty was just as instrumental in turning professional wrestling into what it would become almost more than anybody, really, because he was he's earlier than Hogan, earlier than Flair. Um, Like he was the perfect bridge from that older, you know, like the Italian strongman and the, you know, like that kind of stuff to what we would know in the 80s because he was still going in the 80s. Um, I don't, I, I think you have to know a lot about wrestling to understand this as well. Well, I, actually I'll get into that in a moment, but in, in, let's get back to this for a second. They talk about, uh, him and Billy Graham, right? And that was a big feud. It really was, but boy, did they set this up as like the thing that, that made him the, the man and it, it made him go back to Jim Crocker promotions and they put the NWA title on him and all that shit. That was bullshit. Dusty was flourishing like a motherfucker before any of that. Uh, that was through Florida because as much as Vince and them will never admit to it, Florida was a popping promotion. Uh, it, that was the number two promotion in the country uh, when the WWWF was a thing in the 1970s. Um, the NWA wasn't as big. I mean, the NWA was big, but it was there was no NWA. It was the traveling champion under the courtship of the NWA not NWA as a promotion. A lot of people don't realize that. And Florida in the 70s was the major promotion in the United States besides the WWWF. Right. Uh, So they talked about the matches at Madison Square Garden. Obviously, that was a big deal to Dusty. Um, And, you know, it's and Hogan himself said, like, that feuds would kind of really, like, he wanted to be like both guys, which is a pretty good... I think representation of like what Hulk Hogan really became like he he would go on to be more of himself. But when he first started, the first became a big star. He was basically a combination of those two guys. 
Exactly. And, and another big thing, just to go in with that, hey, Ed, where the talk, talking head in this portion, Dave Zirin, he was the author and sports edis, editor for The Nation. Uh, he's on here a good deal and had some good uh, perspective. And he mentions how uh, he suggests a comparison, I should say, to Jerry Lee Lewis or Elvis Presley for how Rhodes absorbed influences from multiple ethnic cultures to then incorporate their elements into his own unique style. And then yep. they have that really cool uh, African-American lady on here. I don't have her name in front of me, but she she had a cool perspective. And she talks about Dusty's influence on African-Americans. And then they even have Booker T real quick where he was like, you know, we didn't have any brothers back then to look up to. It was Dusty was our brother, yep. basically, you know? Yep. The Dusty and Flair were both that kind of guy in those communities for sure. I mean, that's uh, Flair's, you know, reach still shows to this day. Right. Um, you know, Dusty's is, is subsided a little bit because it was a long time ago, but Flair manages to stick around. So it, it's a thing that people remember. Um, and I, you have to be a wrestling fan to understand this. That's what I was talking about earlier. But to understand Dusty and how good he was and, and how much he was recognized for being good. The fact that he was picked to become the NWA champion over Harley Race. Harley Race was the quintessential NWA champion. He was the fucking man there. And for them to take a belt off him to put it on Dusty, not only did they have to think highly of Dusty, but Harley had to think highly of, of Dusty. Course. So that's pretty impressive. Like when you really look back upon that, that he was able to accomplish that. And that they went through with putting that belt on him. He chose to pass is, the tour, Charlie. Yeah, it, and it's it's an, an amazing thing. It's really smart, and it's definitely something that led to them doing big business. They kind of cut together, though, like when Jim Crockett sells the territory to TBS. They kind of gleamed over a lot of stuff there. Um, and you get the, the talking heads, and the, this is where they kind of speed everything up a little bit to get when, you know... The, you know, Dusty went there and got the book, and then they sold the company. Then he left to go to WWF. Then, of course, they overblow the whole Polka Dots thing and saying how good it was and how much money he made. Well, we all know that that's not really the case. Um, you know, and that's obviously the first time that Cody got to witness his dad in the wrestling business was around that time. So he's going to have, you know, a big opinion on it for sure when it really was one of the more down periods of his life, even though. He's remembered by a lot of people from that time period just because the reach that WWF had in 1989 was absolutely massive. Well, well that's the thing. As his wife says, and I think Dusty said too in interviews, past interviews, that the WWF, he did have fun and he was getting a huge paycheck. But at the end of the day, to your point, Hey Ed, I, I think that didn't last as as long as you know they're making it out to be you know i think for a 18 point, months ex- cody even brought it up exactly so i think after 18 months he's just like and then he says that in another interview where that just wasn't him so yep. so there you go it's like at this point i like being put in this spotlight on this stage but this character i'm forced into just isn't me and i'm going to go back to wcw uh where where i can you know do what i want to do and then he obviously before he left the WWF, they brought in Dustin Rhodes as his son uh, and kind of brought him into the wrestling business. It was really cool to see a lot of the stuff with Dustin Rhodes talking about his dad, how he wanted to be like him, their relationship and things like that. One thing I did know, I knew that him and his dad didn't talk for a few years uh, after he would leave uh, WCW. I didn't know why. I didn't know that it was Terry that, I, that I, you know, I didn't his realize former that wife that. 
that caused that rift. Yeah, but I, it makes sense because I don't know if you know this or not. Do you know what she was pretty much well known for in WCW? Uh, you can answer that. I just want to point this out because this is just a personal inside joke thing for us because we always talk about the goofy real names of pro wrestlers. And I oh, always Terry Boatwright. I always knew her as Terry Ruddles. I never knew her name was Terry Boatwright. It's, it's like, of yeah, course. Of course. But uh, no, I wasn't sure what was she known for. So she played the character of Alexandra York in the company, but she started in WCW as like a makeup girl. And... Let's just say she was with Dustin. She was with Pillman. Uh, she gotcha. was with Tom Zank. She was. She kind of worked her so, way up, if you will. Yeah, she's she was considered a rat by a lot of the guys. So, I I have a f- funny feeling that's why Dusty wasn't too big on this, um, because I'm sure he knew it because he was in an administrative position in the company at the time, um, and that leads to Dustin going to the WWF as Gold Dust, and it seemed like they were extremely embarrassed of the character, which makes more sense at the time when you, you know, cause we were all like, what the fuck is this? Like, what are they doing? But the fact of the matter is it turned dust. That was the best thing Dustin ever did in his career was work as that character. Um, of course they had to tone down the character and change it to a degree, but there's no doubt when you go back and watch that stuff with him first coming in, that character was really strong and they took a chance and thought outside of the box with it. That's one of the instances, and I won't do this very often here on the show, where Vince's crazy ideas, uh, that one was a good one. It was smart how they did it. It worked well. It, you would never be able to do it today. I understand all that. But like that character like lit a fire under people, and he was great as a heel. It really helped him move away from his family name and try and make a name for himself. So credit to Dustin Rhodes for being able to pull off such a difficult character especially at the time that he was doing it. Big call, and especially the fact that, of course, they initially pretty much paired him with Razor. Yes. And, of course, they talk about his daughter Dakota a little bit. Uh, And then they pretty much go to when WCW folded, uh, and then Dusty was out of a job. Paul Heyman brought him into ECW, um, which, you know, here's the thing, too. I mean, that wasn't great, okay? Like, we'll all admit that, I think. It's pretty fair to say. But I'll never forget, man. There was some memorable shit with Dusty and Steve Carino. Yeah, it was uh, fun. Doing like the, the bull rope matches yep. and bleeding everywhere. And it was kind of cool because at the time, ECW was like kind of floundering at that point. Guys had left the company, the bigger companies, WCW, you know, and then later WWE would take a lot of their talent. Um, but it was kind of cool to see ECW doing like the Southern hardcore style. Like, exactly. What, Like, you wouldn't have ECW if it wasn't for, like, some of the shit that the NWA was doing in the 1980s. So, to actually bring that, like, tour it in ECW was pretty cool. Uh, I'll definitely accept that. I I was happy with that. And it's, you know, something that we got to see personally. It live. Right. At the time. So, it was really cool to see that kind of stuff. But, of course, they don't, you know, they don't spend too much time on that. And, of course, they talk about him going to NXT and talking about a lot of his final days and things like that when he passed, which is really weird because I'll never forget that we went to NXT live the night that he passed. I remember that. Yeah. And they they, they had a nice little dedication to him and everything. It was really cool. Um, and, dude, NXT was incredible at the time. Uh, and it was our first time seeing a, a pr- that product live. And it was a product that Dusty had a really big hand in as far as help developing talent and things like that. So... Um, but I really enjoyed this, man. I thought this was really good all around, really fun. 
um, you know, decent look back on everything, nice perspective from the family. And uh, to be perfectly honest with you, dude, this might be my favorite episode of biography that they've had so far this season. Oh, for sure. This season, definitely for the J. And yeah, we, we've always had a personal spot in our heart for Dusty. Like you said, the personal meeting, the, the matches we've seen, uh, all that stuff going into it. Very, very personal, very impactful uh, to us on a personal level. The, the only other thing I would mention, hey, Ed, that was a cool part that I actually want to go back and relive. I haven't seen it in forever. Uh, it's one thing about the network. I'm sure I can uh, look up the date and find it was when Dusty was in the six man with Cody and Dustin. Oh yeah. Yep. So that was like the last thing you yeah, really with did the shield. in the ring. That was like the last thing. And, and Cody said like, you know, how, how much of a memory that was, of course, you know, and Dustin. Um, but yeah, this, this was a very emotional, very fun, sometimes funny, you know, pulls all the strings. What would I say? Hey, I had the classic. I laughed. I cried, you know, everything in between. And, and I agree with you. Like I said, this was probably the, definitely the best episode of bio uh, on this season. And dude, you know why I thought this one was so good? It wasn't even the subject matter. I felt like this was the most truthful one that they've done. Very honest. Yep. Like there because really because his controversies they, they, were only like his family stuff that everybody was able to talk about. It wasn't bullshit. You know, yep. other than that, he wasn't like in all kinds of heinous shit. So yeah, and they they didn't. I mean, they did a little bit with trying to to make his WWF run seem more important than what it was, but it wasn't overbearing. They kind of just did it and moved on from it. Like it felt like a real representation. Because dude, we know the story of Dusty Rhodes. If this would have been bullshit, we would have seen it coming a mile away. Exactly, and it would have been really disappointing to to do something like that. But I thought they did a really good job at this one of trying to tell the actual story of what Dusty Rhodes is. And I mean. And I'll say this too. I think that Vince has come to respect him a quite deal, a great deal through the years, especially after his career. Yeah, he has that bronze, like life size bronze statue. Yeah, and, they were and we know Trips loves Dusty yep. 100%. So uh, I really did enjoy this one. I thought they did a fantastic job with it. So, and this is like how we say a lot of times on here, like, oh, I'd never watch this one again. I would absolutely watch this one. Yeah, again. down the road for sure. And, and while we're at it, hey, Ed, with the passing of, of Dusty a few years ago, rest in power. To the great Dusty Rhodes. 100% one of the absolute greatest of all time. So uh, let's take a look now at the latest episode of WWE Rivals. This time it is Undertaker versus Randy Orton. Um, yeah, man, uh, we're having the same problem that, you know, that we've been saying here. It's not a big rivalry. This is just a feud leading up to WrestleMania one year, which, by the way, Orton should have probably been the guy to break the streak. Everybody always talked it. about that. Yeah, that's a lot of people's opinion. And, dude, it is kind of funny watching this because it's – I mean, we knew this, right, because we watched all this stuff. But, my God, dude, was Orton fucking gassed the fuck uh, up dude, when he, compared when he was, to what he is now. When he was hitting the, the coffin, when he was setting it on fire with he, the sledgehammer. Massive, <laughs> I was like, dude, I forgot. Like, Because he's always been in ridiculous shape. He's always had those abs. Like, still has them to this day leading up to his, his recent injury, not being on TV. But man, yeah, back then it was tenfold. They talk a little bit about Bob Orton Jr. and Bob Orton Sr. on here, which obviously you have to do that. They talked about the OVW stuff with Orton. You know, Undertaker's like this fucking legend. But like, dude, this one, I don't know. There's not a lot to talk about with this one, I thought. Well, you know, well, like, you know what my highlight was, was because I just get a kick out of Bob Orton. 
was, yep, was just same. You know their involvement because we we loved that when that was going on. He's like yep. blading in the hell in a cell. <laughs> yep, and they, they have that shot. Of, yeah, they have that shot at, after the match of Orton getting carried out bleeding, and his dad's like in the background getting carried out behind him bleeding. That's yep. that stuff was and, cool. And, and Orton looks back on it and says, "Like I realize the older I get, how lucky I was to be feuding with the Undertaker for a year, uh, traveling with my father." And dude, do you remember why his dad got fucking? Why, why that all stopped? I can't remember. Because his dad had hepatitis. Oh, well, and he's bleeding everywhere. Exactly. So they pretty much got rid of him after that, but they, they don't really mention it at all of course. here, uh, which I don't expect them to. Right. But, dude, you know, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I get it. Like, this wasn't a bad feud. It was not. It was actually a pretty good feud for the time period. But this is called WWE Rivals, not WWE Feud. And that's what I had a problem with. Like, there's not a whole lot of stuff to go back and revisit. Like the him smashing up the coffin that was enlightened on fire. That stuff was kind of cool. Um, but it was, I mean, it was a feud that probably shouldn't have worked, but it did. It worked pretty well. But, you know, typical with Vince and everybody else, like once Orton lost, it's like, okay, well, there it is. Like he's not going to, it's not going to do anything for him. You know what I mean? And it's, it's kind of amazing the way they've been able to do this stuff through the years with guys, but like, Orton since gone on to become, you know, as much as I don't care for him, but like he is an all time great. There's no doubt about that. He's going to be a Hall of Famer someday. Um, but I, it was kind of disappointing too because I felt like they never tried to retread this at a later time. You know what I mean? Like it would have been cool to see them bring back, like actually make it a rivalry, have them have two different matches at WrestleMania years apart and things like that. But they just never seem to have any interest in doing that. And it is what it is, and it's hard to believe. But like, dude, they were feuding in two thousand and five. I thought that too, and, and and that's the thing. It was a, it was basically an on and off year long feud. So so I get that uh, to to try to put it in there. But yeah, these the rivals might not be the right term uh, as we go week in and week out. You know, kind of breaking that down. And and the things that stood out to me, like I was mentioning, hey, as always, were just just the little details that that I get a kick out of as a wrestling nerd. Uh, like we're talking about the the first casket match of his career. And, and tossing the the kerosene on the coffin and randy orton tells a story about you know he's so in the moment he's not realizing that he's spilling the kerosene all over his boots and that it was just one of those wrestling things he's not even paying attention they set it on fire and he stepped back in the nick of time and it just missed the tip of his boots or he would have went up in, in flames yep. and, and there was another cool part that he said didn't even make air on smackdown because smackdown was taped because he couldn't get the low rider to to work he kept flooding the engine so the undertaker yep. who they knocked out was like slung over the back of the low rider was like there forever and like orton says he's like it was probably roughly three or four minutes but it felt like 15 or 20 trying to get this car to work and he's like i finally got it done and he's like it was probably the coolest stunt i was ever involved in where he goes in reverse fast as hell and just goes through the set of SmackDown with the Undertaker on the back of the car, which I, I forgot about that. Like, it's like we always say, I, I, I remembered it once I saw it, but I'm like, oh, I forgot all about this because it was, like you said, 2005. Yeah, and they, of course, blow off the feud in the Hell in a Cell at uh, the Armageddon pay-per-view. And, you know, basically they just talk about, like, beating the shit out of each other and everything. And they they do. Everybody bleeds. It was refs. Were, Nick Patrick was bleeding. Yeah, Cowboy. All that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I, I do remember that being a pretty good match. Yeah, that was uh, good. Overall. And, dude, there was, they even show the footage, too, of, like, uh, 
uh, of Orton, Tombstone, and Undertaker yeah, and shit, which and I Taker forgot about. Taker talks about that because he says it's, it, he just barely ever did that. It was like yep. Kane, maybe Trips reversed it a few times, but in all these years, he probably only got hit with his own finished very rarely, and that's what he was saying. So that was a, a cool perspective from Taker, too, about that. And I did kind of laugh at the comment that uh, Kevin Owens made on this saying about Randy being the ultimate locker room leader. And I'm like, yeah, the guy that used to well, shit in everybody's bag. Yeah, but they talked about that. Like even Owens says that. He's like, he would even admit he, he was an asshole for a while, but eventually he turned into a good locker room leader. And, and I like that because Orton owns up to it. He's like, you, you know, I, I hear what people say about me and how I was back there then, but nobody will know more of an asshole than I was than me. Yeah. And I mean, he even, you know, he's always kind of owned up to that shit. So I'll give him credit there, obviously. But, um, you know, but with that being said, just a very basic episode of WWE Rivals. Uh, it was 40 some minutes that, you know, they push it out, try and stretch it out a little bit. But, you know, not terrible, but also not really great and not anything I'm probably going to revisit anytime soon. Right. Yeah, it was entertaining enough. But yeah, that was a good breakdown. Hey, Ed, that was kind of how it was. Uh, the only other note that I had was, again, talking about Orton admitting to mistakes. He tells a story in 2005 where the feud was just getting started. They even ha hadn't even had their first match yet. I guess, you know, Taker went to Vince like the next uh, talent I want to work with is Randy. And he had been partying and he was late to the rehearsal and Taker never chewed him out or anything. So he actually even thanks taker he's like taker if you're listening you know i appreciate you for not beating my ass for screwing that up and uh it's one of his biggest regrets in his career there you go so uh that is the latest episode of wwe rivals on the undertaker versus uh randy orton but we're up against another commercial break and whenever we come back it is time to hit the summer specifically one crazy summer fridays at midnight uh, and we're going to go back to 1986 for that one. So stay tuned. We'll be back with that and much more right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Herman James with the What's Real Podcast. Finally giving me something to do here. It's been a while since I talked to you guys, but I'm actually helping them out doing an advertisement for advertisers. That's right. If you would like to advertise here on the What's Real Podcast and join the team, just shoot us an email today. We got cheap, easy, and affordable rates, and we can hook you up with some kick-ass advertisements. Just hit us up at Gmail. It's at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Join the team with me, my brother Timothy and James, the wizard behind the boards, Cam, the J, and Hey Ed. It's the What's Real team for some advertisers. Hit us up, whatsrealpod at gmail.com today. And we're back, and it is time for another installment of Fridays at Midnight. First up in our double feature is from 1986, directed by Savage Steve Holland. We're talking One Crazy Summer. An aspiring teenage cartoonist and his friends come to the aid of a singer trying to save her family property from developers. Pretty simple story starring John Cusack, Demi Moore, uh, Curtis Armstrong's in this one, William Hickey, Joe Flaherty. Uh, this is... Kind of like the quintessential 80s comedy, or one of them, so to speak. Um, it's like a goofy scenario, cast of characters. Uh, John Cusack is perfect in this type of role as like the normal dude, I guess, uh, as far as comedies go. Um, but dude, One Crazy Summer has always been one of my favorites for sure. 
Um, and this one was your pick, so it kind of, you know, it's a perfect choice for both of us here. That's why we decided to do a double dose of comedies for once here uh, for Fridays at Midnight. But, it, dude, the thing about this movie that I I, I kind of remember, but like rewatching it, it is, and I mean this as a compliment, it is so fucking stupid on purpose that it's hilarious. Like, like the doctor and his rich dickhead son when he's swimming laps and he has floaties on his arm. Makes no sense, but it's fucking hilarious. Uh, the first appearance of Bobcat Goldthwait in this one where they're at the beach and this girl's like, excuse me, can you and your friends help me put our boat into the water? And he's immediately like, no, that sounds like a lot of work. Like, it's just a lot of the the baked bean scene where the dude's eating beans sitting in, uh, on the chair that's uh, over top of the head of their friend that they buried in sand. Like, he's fucking amazing in this. Like, every one of his friends and everybody fits really well in this one. But, dude, the one thing that I'll say that I never really noticed until watching this. Dude, Demi Moore is not good in this. Her chemistry is super off with everybody. It's like... It, it kind of brings shit down when she's in the movie compared to when it's just all the goofs. But it's still a lot of fucking fun. Yeah, because th- that's the thing, too. Bobcat and uh, Tom Villard that plays Clay Stork. They're the Stork brothers, and Bobcat's name's Egg. Yeah. They're, they're just ridiculous. And then Curtis Armstrong, who, for those that don't know, you might recognize him as Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. A uh, big time '80s comedy actor. He's Ack Ack. Like yeah. it, it's just great. Like the little girl. There's like this little girl. She doesn't even have any lines, but she's kind of a cool character with this dog that's like considered the ugliest dog ever because it has like the big thing, like round thing around its neck and like bandages. But her name is Squid Calamari. Yep. <laughs> so it's just like you said. It's just that's that's probably why we love it because it's just complete goofiness and for an 80s comedy like this that's what i love it's just goofy and and there's just so many highlights that just had me dying uh let's go to one of the main ones off the bat hey ed we were, we were talking about this because you know it's like we said things things come and go and we've seen this a bunch of times but we haven't watched it in a long time that's one of the reasons i chose it of course and it's the part where bobcats left to watch the prop truck and of course, yep. his brother's like, don't go in the truck and touch any props. He's like, I'm really going to go in the truck. And he ends up going. That was the worst Bobcat impression ever, by the way. Nobody can do a good yeah, that's, impression he, of him. And that's just, dude, that says it all. That When we grew up, of course, we thought that was like, he had something wrong with him. That was his real fucking character. Like, that was him. But meanwhile, he's playing a, a character his whole life. Like, that's he's yep. a normal dude, which is insane. Yep. Talk about a good actor. But he, he ends up in a Godzilla suit and he gets stuck in it. And Dude, he, he it's shows the funniest up, shit. <laughs> yeah, he shows up at the fundraiser and he's spying because he was tasked to keep an eye on the boyfriend and the grandfather, who's who's uh, actually the actor that played the grandfather in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, throws the cigar in his mouth inadvertently and he starts smoking. So he starts running out screaming and there's like this set for the uh, proposed uh, new construction, like condominiums for the, the doctor guy, the villain. And he starts crushing like the the, the model. While he's breathing smoke, smoke and shit. Like. And there's like a, a Japanese banker there. That's just He's like, this is a great party. And the, and the uh, doctor punches him in the throat. And like the next time you see him, he has a neck brace on. It's just, I mean, you could go on and on. I just Dude, I love it. I was dying. I, I wrote this down 
because it's so awesome. So there is a drive-in that kind of plays into the movie like throughout periods. Yeah, that's George runs it. Their friend George, Joel Murray. Dude, it's the the marquee titles, Chainsaw Date, Hemorrhoids from Hemorrhoids Hell. from Hell. And then there's the running bit about them making the uh, foam too about the giant killer dolphin with rabies. Yeah, the giant killer <laughs> dolphin with rabies. It's obviously a take on Jaws, you know what I mean? Oh, but yeah. It's, but, dude, it's the one thing about this one, man. This movie is so fucking fun. Uh, they have even the, the whole thing of, like, his cartoons, like, that they work the animation in and yeah, stuff like that's that. Awesome. That's a neat thing that they do. And, and the dude, director did the animation for a and it's cr- And it's crazy because fucking the animation's not nearly as dated as you think it would be for exactly. something made in 86. It's way better than I even remember it being. Yeah, and, and I just got to say, I mean, you mentioned it, but what a name. Savage Steve Holland. That's his first name, Savage. Another thing that kills me in this one is, uh, do you remember the name of the high school? No. Generic high school. That's great. <laughs> yeah, they have all those little things. Like, they they build a, a boat for the big yacht race at the end that everything leads to. And theirs is just called The Boat. Dude, the, the scene where they're in the vet's office and the dog wearing a lab coat wheels the dog patient. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of, like, a Muppet movie or something. Yes. It's... <laughs> Dude, see, this is the thing about this. It's clearly a comedy, right? And it's like, they don't care about, they're, they'll be stupid. It doesn't matter. It's like the, the jokes are more important than like, we have to make this a really good move. Like, no, Wrong be call. fucking funny. Like, just be funny about it. They which, even have the, the grandma character that is, you know, pops in doing funny shit. And they go over to her house to eat. And at the way end, she gives John Cusack a, a bill. <laughs> yeah. And they all yep. like act like they don't see it. He's like, I got it, guys. And dude, Joe Flaherty in this one kills me yeah. from fucking SCTV. It's like he just keeps like appearing as like the fucking goof that like there's so many like nonsensical characters that don't even need to be in the movie, but they're like, no, we're getting this motherfucker in here because he's funny. Well, you know like, what? The, because you brought that up, hey, Ed, not to cut you off, but you brought it up. And I was telling you this off air and I said I'd bring it up on the show. There was a huge coincidence, just ironic, that we did not plan by completely on, on our own picking these two movies separately for this segment, you know, with this double feature of One Crazy Summer and, and The Stone Age. And there is a, a cast member in both that is, is a legend to, to us. And... I, I'm trying to think of, uh, I can't think of his name now off, off the top of my head. I'll, I'll find it on IMDb and I'll throw it to you. But okay. dude, I was dying. He played the, the guy in this that's in the, uh, or no, that was the Stone Age. He's the guy in the liquor store. In this, he's the dude oh, that works at the yeah. gas station from uh, Nothing But Trouble. Yeah. And God he passed away it. not too long ago. Yeah, it pisses me off. To, it, Taylor Negron. That's Taylor Negron is in both of these movies, dude. So it's, it's a Taylor be, Negron double feature. Because in the 1980s, he was literally the dude that was in absolutely everything. Everything. Yes. And, and you know, so it's not the the biggest of, of coincidences, but just, just great and hilarious. Uh, but yeah, rest in power to Taylor Negron. He passed away in 2015. But I was dying when I saw him pop up in the Stone Age after this one, because in this one he uh, they make fun of the dog 
and him and his buddies ties are in the grandma's car and she gets impatient because they're not pumping the gas and she's like i'm out of here and they get dragged because yep. they're making fun of the dog dude it's there's so many just stupid little gags in this one like it's a movie as a like dude i miss comedies like this because it's like you know what this this reminds me of something that i'll just call like the saturday afternoon comedy like something you would go see at the movies on a Saturday afternoon. It's just fun. It's a fun way to spend your afternoon. You're fun. You leave the theater happy. Like and me and you. Like if we went and seen this, we'd be like, like oh, like doing the Godzilla shit and fucking around for the rest of the day. And like, like dude, we got to go see Hemorrhoids from Hell. Like that kind of shit. <laughs> I mentioned like, to you, my wife and I watched this. She she was cracking up. We were dying. It's fucking funny, man. It's a great movie, man. It's really fucking fun. It's always been one of my favorite like 80s type comedies. It's the same director, by the way, of uh, Better Off Dead. Uh, yep, Better Off Dead, which is, dude, these, they work as like a great double feature. Frankly. Yeah, it's a good like, call. That, that's absolutely awesome. But, uh, but dude, I, I was really surprised when you kind of picked this one out of nowhere because you said you were kind of been in the mood to watch it recently, too. But like as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch this. Like, I can't wait to watch one crazy. I summer. couldn't wait. Yeah, because it, it was funny. It's one of those ones I, I caught it on Amazon. I don't have it in the collection. So I bought it on Blu-ray years ago. Never got to it. And then um, you know, for the Fridays at Midnight segment, I was thinking of what to watch. We always go to Tubi and different streaming services. But Tubi is always a first just because of their library at this point and the zany movies they have in comparison to other streaming services. And it was front and center. And I'm like, that's it. It's a calling, you know? And I don't think we even mentioned just with all the, the goofy little inside stuff that John Cusack's character's name's Hoops McCann. So they have the basketball, you know, reference in there and he's terrible at basketball. Yep. <laughs> His name's Hoops. There's a bunch of shit like that in this yeah. one too. Where like, they're, they're all just like the lovable, like losers. Oh, like dude. We f completely forgot about the, the uncle that's waiting for the million dollar call oh the whole it's the whole yeah and, then and of he, course he electrocutes it, himself and talk about a stunt he gets like he does like a lucha libre move out the window the well because they do the thing where it's like he wins the million dollars at the way and he pulls the and plug. he's like all right this is amazing and like just hangs up and they're like hello yeah. hello all right i guess we're gonna take another call and they go to some lady and she's like oh i just won i can't yeah. believe it and the, the and dj's like, like is there a, there's a rocket coming at me she's like a rocket and he blows up the radio what well, dude the one thing that killed me is like they were like what's going on there's a rocket coming to the radio and <laughs> yeah. you hear her she's like she's like wait yeah, wait a, a minute rocket? what about my money yeah. what about yeah. my money yeah. <laughs> And, and on top of that, Akak's dad, they have that storyline where he's like the scout leader and that whole scene. Because yep. his dad's the dude from uh, Happy Gilmore. It's always like, jackass. You're a jackass. That's Joe Flaherty. Joe Flaherty. Yep. Exactly. Yes. The, yeah. He's General Raymond in the movie. Yeah. So so damn funny. And, he, and Akak, because of that connection, gets a, a bazooka at one point for a plot point and stuff. Uh, yeah, it's it's just great, man. Like, we could go on and on about all the scenes and gags, but th that just shows you our enthusiasm and love of this film. All right, the Jay. So one crazy summer hit us with a tagline for this. Bad all right, boy. so one crazy summer. It has a pretty good one. There, I got to get it bigger because I'm getting old. I can't see. Hey, Ed, they're the last bunch in the world you expect to win anything, but with this crowd, anything can happen. I found another one, and it's if you get the the joke, it's it's pretty funny that they would do this. They're out of out of school, out on Nantucket, and out of their minds with this crowd. Anything can happen. 
That's a good one. I, and I got, I, I read this. This was good uh, just to surmise everything with uh, some trivia. Uh, so Savage Steve Holland, the director, also did the animation for the film. I mentioned that earlier. And he was upset that film critics of the time Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert roasted his earlier John Cusack film, Better Off Dead, that we've been discussing. So the two animated bunnies that get blown up at the end of the movie bear a strong and not accidental physical resemblance to the movie critics. There you go. Which is hilarious. But as we do here on the show, we do a five-star rating scale. So the J, what are you giving one crazy summer? Just for my love of it, hey, Ed, it's a solid four and a half for me. I give this one three and a half. I do really like it, though. So, uh, you know, it's one that it's it's like one of my favorite 80s movies for sure. I could watch this one all the time. Uh, But, yeah, that's one crazy summer. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. We are going to take another quick commercial break. And whenever we come back, it's time for part two, our second half of our double feature for Fridays at Midnight. We're going to take a look at 1994's The Stone Age. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, Yins, guys. That's right. It's your boy, the J. Once again, as the great Chris Jericho used to say, representing the dub R question mark, the What's Real Podcast. And I am here today for local Pittsburgh area independent production company, Churchill Pictures. And the J can admit, for those consistently listening week to week, we have ads for Churchill Pictures. You may be rolling your eyes, but this time, this week, I have a gift for you where you can watch some of our feature films for free for the first time. For those that don't know, Churchill Pictures is based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, established from the bond of two childhood friends. Churchill Pictures envisions creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Check all the information out at churchillpictures.com today. And as I said at the top of the ad, your chance to see their two feature films for free. Just subscribe to YouTube's Churchill Pictures channel. Go to YouTube, subscribe to the Churchill Pictures channel, and you'll be able to watch the full feature film, the 2012 Silver Ace Award winner from the Las Vegas Film Festival, Deference. Deference, the full movie, is for free on our YouTube channel. Then our second feature film, The Unsung, is now available for free on Tubi. Tubi is a free streaming site, just has a little bit of ads, but you can get used to them. Check us out on Tubi. All you have to do is register for Tubi, or if you're already registered, go on ahead and sign in on Tubi and just search The Unsung. The Unsung is now streaming for free on Tubi. Check us out today at churchillpictures.com or YouTube deference, Tubi The Unsung, Churchill Pictures. We create worlds. And we're back. And it is time for part two of Fridays at Midnight. This time with the 1994 James Melkinen directed The Stoned Aged. Determined to avoid another night of driving aimlessly around Torrance in the blue torpedo, Joe and Hubs set out on a quest for fine chicks. Their path soon crosses with Tack, from who they learn about a pair of foreign radical chicks hanging out near the old Frankie Avalon place. Over Joe's objections, Hubs worms Tack out of the deal, and the pair take a slow ride toward their destiny. So this is kind of like a single night sex comedy, so to speak. Uh, where two buddies are trying to get these two girls and hilarity ensues. Um, it's, you know, like you, you've you mentioned this, the Jay, it's kind of like a B-movie version-ish of Dazed and Confused. 
Um, it's not a ripoff or anything like that. I think they both came out in the same year, actually. Um, I mean, it has similar parallel vibes. Yes. completely different. It's, you know, but it's somebody, I've even read, uh, there's a thing uh, on uh, Letterboxd. Uh, this dude, Justin, he was like the closest thing we have to live action Beavis and Butthead. So it's that's a good call. And then somebody else on here, the student Joe, he's like, it's a poor man dazed and confused meets Wayne World meets can't hardly wait while looking like a full blown studio 90s film, which I don't agree with that at all, because I think it looks like, you know, it's definitely a B movie. Um, but there's so many like weird characters and goofy scenarios in this one. Uh, the policeman. That's always like back in my day. Yeah. He used to always call me Dixie Cup Dean. Like, <laughs> yeah. I love that dude. Of course, Joe and Hubs are fucking great. Uh, obviously, you have the Laney character who's extremely fucking hot. Uh, you have China Kantner in this one, too, who's Grace Slick's daughter from Jefferson Airplane. She was also a former MTV VJ. She kind of plays the ugly chick. Um, Clifton Gonzalez Gonzalez, a.k.a. Clifton Collins Jr. plays Tack, who's probably my favorite character in the entire movie. He's like, he's a, hilarious. He's a fucking loser, like a booger nosed fuckhead that everybody yeah, zit, zits all over his face. Yeah. Like just, and he's like a total unlikable asshole, but he's great in the movie. <laughs> like he's funny as shit. Um, of course, they involve Blue Oyster Cults Don't Fear the Reaper as a plot point in the movie. Uh, with plenty of, I guess, what people would call now is problematic dialogue, but it is what it is. Uh, it's how people talked back then. Uh, but, like, there's just so much goofy shit in this one. Like, smoking dirt weed. They have a fucking gallon of peppermint schnapps. <laughs> like, that they just didn't know what he wants. The schnapps. And they do the thing where Joe, like, will touch it with his finger, and you hear, like, the little it's, edit. It's like, like the ding. ding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, there's nudity in this. There's goofy comedy. There's, like, the part where people are getting chased out of places. Like, all that kind of stuff. So, it's just generally, like, a stupid movie. But it's really a lot of fucking fun. And I was telling you this. The first time I ever saw this movie was on USA's Up All Night. And it was a movie that I'd seen a bunch of times through the years. And I was always kind of amazed as I got older. Like, how many people never actually saw this. I thought it was a movie that more people had seen. But clearly not. And it's probably a good idea to bring it up here on Fridays at midnight in case people haven't seen it. Because it is available on Tubi if you guys want to check it out. And I love this movie. I've loved this movie since I first saw it. It's a lot of fun. It's great. Yeah, it all opens up with surrounding Crump's brother. Yes. Who's this badass ex-convict with steel-toe boots that annihilated a Samoan. Yes. Which is like so our type of humor. And, and at one point, like probably like the first act still like a quarter into the movie, uh, Hubs and Joe run into it. They're like, oh, look, it's the Samoan. Yeah. <laughs> He's coming up. And he, he like drops his shit from the convenience store. Like, fuck. He has like a, all these bandages limping with like a cane. <laughs> yep. And it's and it obviously this is like a California movie, which is pretty clear. Like, which isn't easy to do. But, I mean, they, they pretty much managed to pull it off as far as just the, like the overall vibe of everything. And, dude, it's also funny, too, because obviously this dude was was pretty good in, in this role. But uh, Michael Wiseman, the dude that plays Crump's brother, he also plays uh, one of the bad guys in fucking Judgment Night. Yeah. So, you know, he does show up and shit occasionally. He's also in Predator 2. 
So it's, you know, you'll have those type of characters and shit from time to time. But, uh, you know, it's it's kind of amazing to me with this one, too, that like a lot of these people didn't really go on to do a lot of stuff afterwards. Like, dude, one of my favorite things about this movie is like when they go to that party and uh, Jake Busey's running the party. Yeah. And, yep. But like when they find like the loser crew out back. Like the dude has the no fat chicks yeah. hoodie and like the Indian <laughs> yeah. dudes like with him. Like, dude, and then they and of course I love that this is this is a movie after my own heart. Because Tack's best friend, his last name is Hanky, so they call him Snot Rat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, Don't call me that. He's like, but and like, and like just for the goofy names. Busey's name is Maldoon and like when they get into it with him and he slams the door on him like fucking Maldoon yeah there's tons <laughs> of shit in this movie that's like that like yeah. no, nobody's normal everybody has some weird fucking name uh, like dude the funniest is like you were saying like Crump's brother he doesn't have a name they only refer to him as Crump's brother it's Crump's brother and there's yeah. so many parts in this movie and dude this range true you'll know exactly what I'm talking about where like Joe and Hubs are talking and they'll be like, yeah, man, we can't like, they'll be talking to somebody else that doesn't know the situation. And then they're like, yeah, man, because Crump's brother is going to come down here and kick everybody's ass. And they're like, who's Crump's brother? And they're like, I don't know, some dude. Some dude, like, yeah. And they say like, that, who, who's out there? Some dude. It's like, who, who the hell's Tack? Like, hey, he's just some dude. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they just say it a bunch of times and it's like a running joke. And Yeah, when Jill, Jill and Joe are on the beach and they come back and, and like the tack and like brings the whole group to the front door. And she's like, who are those guys? You know, he's like, just some dudes. And dude, but I love the part two where, <laughs> where like they make fucking snot rag break into the beer distributor. Cause all the, the dorks needed more beer. And he like goes in and he comes out with a case and he's like, the hell man, these aren't fucking talls. Get a fucking case of talls. <laughs> like they make them get the fucking pounders instead. The tall cans. Like, <laughs> because, you know, the whole point of the movie is to drink fucking Ox 45. That's their beer. But, dude, the my favorite line in the whole movie is when they first go in the back of the fucking party that uh, Busey's at. And, like, they're drinking. They're like, here, man, here's have a cold one because they're drinking from the kegs. And he's like, he drinks, uh, Hubs drinks something, he spits it out. He's like, what the hell is this, man? Horse piss? And he's like, yeah. he's like, no. It's actually St. Ladle's malt ale. Like the way he says it. He's, he's like, these rich guy. Yeah. He's like, it's actually St. Ladle's malt ale. <laughs> like, yeah. and it's like, oh, man. <laughs> As mentioned in the first part of the double feature of Fridays at Midnight, hey, you know, Taylor Negron is the convenience store goof. Talk about another character. He's like rocking out and he's like giving Joe advice about like trying to get laid. And that's when the cops come in and he just plays it off. And like, he's like, do you guys have ID? <laughs> and he's like, uh, no, man. He's like, it's cool. I'm 25. He's like, oh, you must have left it in your sport coat. And he like yeah. looks at the cops. <laughs> looks at the cops. <laughs> yeah. Because dude, he's like listening to fucking Disco Inferno. And he, yeah, exactly. And he's, like dancing. And he's like, don't forget to get your grill up in the reel. Like, and then do the yeah. dance out of your pants. Like, and he's like, and Joe's like dancing, and Hubs comes like, hey man, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And, and like you said, it's like the classic, you know, here in 2023, as we must say. 
can't can't get away with it these days. But Hobbs is just a complete asshole. Uh, but he plays the part so well. He's like a likable asshole in a lot of ways. And he just throws around the f bomb. And no, I'm not talking about fuck gay you know, slurs, like basically. <laughs> yeah, which isn't cool. But it's just like you see movies like this now, and and it's just it, it makes it stand out because we never used it as a homophobic slur back in the day. No. You know, and it's just how kids acted. I mean, this is the early 70s where the film takes place, but he, he like goes on the, the monologue where the uh, Don't Fear the Reaper is a pussy song, and they have that Oh, yeah, thing. and they start, he's like punching him in the face over it and shit. <laughs> yeah, when they, when they fight in the car, and the car is like swerving all the time and shit. That, that shit kills me. And, dude, there there's like little, like, it's weird because, like, as a teenager, when you're just out on the weekends partying, like, there's a lot of shit you had in common with this movie, even though it was a completely different time period than, oh, for you sure. know, that we grew up in. But there's a lot of stuff that, oh, dude, that that reminds me the the, the one of the lines that uh, Taylor Negron says to him, he's like, "Put a little insanity on your potato." <laughs> yeah, there's tons of those, like uh, when when. Busey comes out and he goes back in and you know Hubs always acts so tough and he's like well, why didn't you fuck him up and he's like I would kick his ass if it wasn't for his massive upper body strength dude that's that, like <laughs> the, the part where they're like when they couldn't get the rump like or they, they were thinking they weren't going to be able to get the fucking 151 for the chicks and it's like he's like alright man what? he's like why don't we just leave man he's like because we're not going home with greasy grandpa to spank the monkey <laughs> Like, yeah. it's like greasy grandpa and, and they, they go to the buffalo chicks that are the fat chicks that's what i call them the buffalo chicks to just find out where the party is and she says uh like she tells him about it and she and he's like well who's gonna be there just you chicks and she's like yeah we could play submarine and they're like well we're just gonna get going we're just cruising man and they get back in the car and he's like what the fuck is submarine he's like i don't even want to know yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's like the little shit like that. Dude, there's so many like stupid things about this movie. Like it, I know it's not going to be for everybody, but like I fucking still like this movie a lot. I still think it's really funny. Uh, the characters in it I like, even though a lot of them are pieces of shit. Like, yeah. it's just, dude, there's just, it's like, it's, just, it's, it's almost like, uh, in a, in a way, t- uh, American Pie way before American Pie. Yeah. Too. I get that. You know, cause, you know, and like, especially with their own lingo, which I love where, you know, when they take each other's girls, could be a worm. worms, don't be a worm and all that stuff. And, and yeah, they're just, you know, they're just looking to get laid and get fucked up. They're, they're underage or at that age. It all makes sense. You know? Yeah. It's, it still works. The, the whole blue oyster cult shit in this cracks me up too with the eye and everything. Yeah. And, it, and it's basically like a coming of age movie for Joe. Like Joe's like the schlub. Who like becomes kind of like the hero, but like, dude, I love the, <laughs> I like the scene too, where like the girl's dad comes home and like he finally like stands up to her, and then he's like chasing them around the house, and Hubs jumps out the window and like gets away, and Joe doesn't, and they just show like Hubs on the ground, and and you hear fucking Joe, he's like, come on, man, I didn't do anything, and he's like, oh, fucking Joe, man. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, that that part's great when the dad gets gets there and all the the, the door crews outside still, and he just beats the shit out of them. He like headbutts two dudes at once, and he comes in wearing like the sea sweater, like he's a fraternity yeah. captain from the fifties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
And of course, he's like obsessed with uh, Lane, Laney. Yep. You know, of course, the hot chick. Like he looks at her as his girl, and Joe calls him out on that. Yeah. And then of course he pukes in the in the couch. Oh, like, that was the ongoing thing. Like she, like at one point she's like, "What's that smell?" He's like, "I don't know, man." And then yeah, the dad's sitting there just sniffing, but he never, nobody ever checks. It. Nope. Because she, the, it's funny because she's like, "Hey, you better take it easy on that ox. You were hitting the peppermint pretty hard." He's like, "It's okay, man. I can handle it." They pukes yeah. five minutes later. And she's like, I got to go take a dump. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, then he comes back and she's like making out with hubs. He's like, hey, dude, she's not like that. And she's like, gives him like a weird look and goes back to making yeah. out with him. Like, yeah, because she says later, you didn't take a shot. Yep. He's like, I was building up to it. But then he ends up hooking up with her. And they always like anytime it's anything sexual, it has a theme song that plays. Yeah, it's pretty fucking funny. Cord. yeah that's uh, great but yeah a lot of fucking fun i like the stone age a lot i however was not able to find a tagline for this one that jay did you see anything for this one no the poster just had uh like the quote better than dazed and confused on it um you know it mentions on wikipedia not to be confused with the film national lampoon's stone age oh which i thought about that too remember when that came out yeah i don't know if i've ever vaguely, seen that one vaguely yeah, so obviously I'm sure that's not any good at all. But you know, typically IMDb like puts their uh, own taglines as well. That's why sometimes we have like two or even three. Yep. And and this one didn't even have that. Uh, but another another cool connection with the show, uh, which you know we'll be making some programming announcements because uh, this is coming up too. Uh, it was actually featured in Joe Bob's Drive-In Theater, Brain Damage Night in 1995. So he he screened it. Our boy Joe Bob that's coming back. Uh, for his next season, season four of the the last drive-in soon, so we'll be taking trips to the last drive-in with Joe, Bob, and Darcy soon here on the show. Yeah, uh, for those that like that that we do. Approximately speaking like of which, two weeks. So we'll yeah, have one so more show after this one, and then we're going to start back into the new season of uh, the last drive-in, where we'll have double features every week on the show. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun as well. But uh, as we do here on the program, the Stone Age, the J, we do a five-star rating scale. I'm going to give this one three and a half. I'm right there with you. I was going to say three and a half. So there you go. Hope you guys enjoyed our double feature of Fridays at Midnight, the comedy version, uh, which is the first, as I mentioned here. But we are up against our very last commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to be wrapping up the show and we're going to be talking some goofs. So stay tuned for that much more. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Step right up. Fridays at Midnight here. We got all the finest women in the world. We got all the kind of craziest stuff you've ever seen. Hey, buddy, what about you? Why don't you come on into Fridays at Midnight and see what the world beholds? Hey, what kind of wares do you have? What kind of place is this? This looks pretty unique. Tracy, want to check this out? You like hot women? You like crazy people? What about murder? We got that too. Cartoon characters, stupidity, just about everything you guys want to see. Come on in. Just a small fee, if you will. Sorry, Tracy. I love all these things. I'm leaving you. You stay here. Here it is, sir. All right. Head on in. All right. Fridays at midnight, everybody. What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for one of the craziest movie segments in podcasting. Fridays at midnight. This is Ed from the What's Real Podcast. What would dad do? Suppose dad was going to create the greatest hangout spot in the world. Would he have more than 100 craft beers? Check. Hard to find sweet seasonal brews on tap? Check. Juicy burgers seasoned with goodness and grilled to perfection? Check. Signature dogs and beloved favorites on the menu? Check. Comfortable for friends and family, even your little brother? Check. Welcome to dad's. Well, 
That's what Dan, Steve, and Eric set out to do. Of course, the trio had spent some quality years working together at a certain hot dog and beer joint in Monroeville. That's when they came to the conclusion that they could shape a bar and restaurant with the beer they love, the food they love, and the people love they hang out with. So, Dad's was born. In its first year, Dad's has become a favorite hangout for many who stumbled in for the very first time. We hope to be your favorite spot, too. Check us out on the web at dadspub.com. Give us a call at area code 412-856-5666, located at 4320 Northern Pike, Monroeville, and 1050 Brayton Avenue, Pittsburgh, PA. That's Dad's. Hey, everybody. This is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Geeks Are Geeks. And we're back, and it's that time once again. So the J, what do we got this week on the goof front? Ah, take it in. Hey, you know, we are loving it today. It is beautiful here in the pit and down from the What's Real Studios at the lagoon in the waterfall of goose. The dolphins are frolicking. The pussy willows are brisk in the crisp, nice air. It's 71 and sunny. Hey, added here, recording at 630. I will take it. Welcome to episode 158's Goofs are Goofs. And I just have to start this off with one of my favorite chicks currently. I've sent you texts with my girl. It's golf star Paige Sporanic. Yeah. Yep. She's posing naked in a tub full of balls. Golf balls. Golf balls. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Look it up, folks. Yeah, I'm about to look it up. Give me a second. Continue. And uh, in, in sadder, grosser, disgusting news, very gory news, 58-year-old surfer attacked by a tiger shark loses a foot off the Hawaiian coast. Well, that's... Did you hear that story? I hey, did not. Yeah, this is Pat Morita's uh, great-nephew, Mike Morita, who's been shredding waves for 40 years and was attacked by a roughly 8-foot tiger shark in Koala Basin on Sunday around 7 a.m., Fellow surfers luckily quickly t- uh, acted and tied off the injured limb, and Marita was rushed to a local hospital for treatment. Officials say the quick thinking of the other surfers was probably the difference between life and death for Mike, uh, you know, due to bleeding out, obviously. But he had his uh, foot completely eaten by a tiger shark. Stay the fuck out of the water, people. Not not the best day at the beach, hey y'all. No, not. I mean, one of the worst days at the beach, I would assume. This is kind of a follow-up story for something we've been talking about where scientists have created a woolly mammoth meatball but are too scared to eat it. Yeah, as you should be. Jesus. Have you ever wondered what prehistoric creatures tasted like, Hey, I have not. Not even once. The prehistoric frankenfood uh, is made by an Australian food firm. It's devised a primeval meatball from the resurrected flake. Try saying that 22 times fast. They had the resurrected flesh of the long extinct hashtag woolly mammoth. <laughs> yeah, this is what we're, I like that we get all this stuff and this is what we do with it. Like, yeah, let's right. try and improve human life or something. Nah, let's just make fucking meatballs out of them. Why not? Yeah, unfortunately, no one knows how mammoth meat tastes as the scientists are hesitant to try it on account of the animal being well past its expiration date. Say I like that too. Well, let's make a meatball. Okay, cool. Well, how does it taste? I don't know. We're all scared to eat it. Like, what? A, this is literally the most pointless thing I've ever heard people working on. Maybe. Yeah, and as as I I put a reply on Twitter and I said, "Why the fuck they made a mammoth meatball?" I'm the hottest 43 year old on OnlyFans, and I linked my OnlyFans account. Hey, Ed. So the Jays capitalizing on the, the woolly mammoth meatball. Well, good luck with that. 
Did you see the uh, security guard that decapitated the man that uh, tried to propose at the Dodgers game? No, but that's wonderful. Oh, I did yeah, see that. No, I did see that. Dude. Okay. I, this dude's like, he like climbs over the wall and he's like down on one knee. And he smiles. And this dude hits him like fucking Mel Blunt hit a goddamn wide receiver in 1975. <laughs> like this dude stole his, his, his hat fucking. His eight flips in the air. Dude, it's, it is <laughs> he, funny. He so dude, I swear to God, like. That must be the thing. Like, if you're security at a stadium somewhere, like, for years, it's like, I swear to God, if a motherfucker ever comes on this field, I'm going to turn into fucking Jack Lambert. Like, and when they get the chance, man, do they get the chance. But it's always funny, too, when you get, like, the elusive ones because these motherfuckers are, like, falling ass all over the field because they can't catch the dude. Yeah, like like uh, the one dude said, the only security guard I trust and, and I like the first person compared him to the Wolverine himself, or I should say Weapon X, Brian Dawkins. <laughs> oh, that was like a oh, yeah, Brian Dawkins. Yeah, it's like dude, dude fucking proposes and the security guard goes all Brian Dawkins on him. <laughs> yeah, the dude, the security guard said, fuck your proposal. <laughs> he's like, he's like I, I propose you're going to jail, you fuckface. Yeah, with a concussion. Yeah, definitely. You, you um, go to the hospital I first. Just, this has burnt me before, but I just sent you this. It's 42 seconds, so let's listen to this. Not <laughs> empty nuts, <laughs> and then the first one's me after the third nut is the, the little kid from like season two of The Walking Dead doing something. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as Mario Esquivel says, at age 40, I'm telling you, if we nut three times on Wednesday, we're calling the rest of the week off to recover. <laughs> yeah, you might even be right about that. It's, I wouldn't argue with that, frankly. But, uh, yeah, hopefully you guys heard that. She was basically talking about how she pleases her man, and uh, it's asking the question if six nuts a day is too many nuts. And the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> show. And speaking of nuts, I'm sending you this one. Don't, don't send me. creepy as shit. Don't send me nuts. This I sent to my science teacher wife. It's Probably the most alien-like species. Oh, it's a ribbon worm. Get the fuck. It spits. No, get the fuck out of here. That's the worst shit. It ever. spits a living tree-like proboscis on its prey. Yeah, fuck that. And that does look like something. Who's our boy, the the cocaine addict? That's like one of the best FX dudes. I always the Rob Watkins. Botine. <laughs> The witching hour. Dude, this is where the Jay just loses it. Get every one of these that exists on the face of the earth and light them on fire, just like they did in the thing. That's so you you kind of seen where I was going with it. Oh yeah, and you're gonna say that about this one too. I just sent it to you. Oh man, I, it's a it's a sloth bear native to India and is known for its aggression towards humans. It is considered, hey Ed, one of the most dangerous animals in the country. And it is just looking Jesus. like Jesus, dude. That doesn't even look like an. Would you fuck with that? Sure, I'd box it. <laughs> the fuck out of here. There's no, dude. This thing, like, 
that's the sad thing because people are like, oh, look, it's fucking stupid sloth. And then it runs like it's Carl Lewis in the 88 Olympics <laughs> yeah. and eats your fucking face off. With claws and fangs. Dude, that thing is fucking wild looking. Like, dude, all I got to say is we've talked about this on the show many times about cocaine bear. Y'all better hope to God that nobody does the, the cocaine sloth bear because we're fucked. Yeah, it looks like it has a 28 days later zombie bear. It already there. looks like it's on cocaine. So I could just imagine what the <laughs> fuck it would be like if it really was. That's, dude, now I'm going to, I want to do a bunch of research on sloth bears because I've never heard of them yeah. until right now. That's my uh, nightmare fuel of the GRG segment. Uh, I guess this one can count too. Is a Louisiana water plant employee was arrested this week, Ed, after being caught on camera peeing in the water supply. Oh, Jesus Christ. You got to love it, right? Stupid fucking ass. Somebody should pee on him, Hale. Somebody should piss in his water supply, frankly. Exactly. Which I'm sure he's going to get a lot of slack for that. As along with this dude, where a University of Louisville student is now being investigated for fucking air frying live baby chicks. And of course, he did it on Twitter. Of course he did, because that's the only reason why anybody would do shit like this is just for horrible attention. Like, what is wrong with people? <laughs> guess what his guess what his like comeback was like defending himself. What? He allegedly claimed that the chicks were robotic. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> that's not the same so with anything. Like, you get pulled over. Do you know how fast you were going? No, officer, I'm robotic. It's my excuse for every stupid thing that I want to do at this point. He's facing a hell of a lot of jail time. Good. He's a fucking moron. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Like, dude, you you know what they should do? They should just fucking lock him in a cage with sloth bear and just see how that shit works. Why don't you you air fry the sloth bear, dickhead? See how that works Yeah, go for it, dude. Good. We'll put we'll put the, we'll throw the dude that peed in the Louisville water supply as well. Yeah, Why not? you you three can have a, a triple threat match in a cage as we watch the sloth literally eat your skulls. And to go out on a great note to bookend GRG one fifty eight, I just sent it to you. Hey, yeah, the picture of Paige Ferenic is she ass got balls. All right, let's see here. Yeah, yeah, I do have balls, not golf balls. But- wow. Yeah, that works. Paige Veranic, folks, add her to your Twitter and tell her I sent you, please. And, but as and I send, say to my send, Brutus. Send Jared's home address to her as well. <laughs> please. I would appreciate it. Or just send it to uh, what's real pod at gmail.com. That, That's what's real pod yeah. at gmail.com. So we'll never hear about it again. <laughs> but as I say to my sloth bear brother, between woolly mammoth meatballs, security guard tackles of the great Weapon X, Six nuts a day, alien worms, sloth bears, water pissers, tiger sharks eating feet, water frying baby chicks. <laughs> Goofs are gifts. <sighs> so that's about it for us here on our triumphant return. Triumphant, triumphant return. That's my my rap name, triumphant. Jesus, it's we the witching hours in full fucking fledged mode here. here. So, thanks for joining us this week on episode one fifty eight. If you guys are listening on iTunes, feel free to give us a five star review. Helps the algorithm and gets more eyes and ears on the program. Of course, you can listen on all your favorite podcasting platforms such as Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and each and every week on churchillpictures.com. If you have something you'd like to add to the show, you can do it at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Again, that's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. But before we get out of here, here the J revving it up. So the J, take it away. 
revving it up like a sloth bear. Hey, Ann, revving it up like my wife's going to let me take a shot at Paige Sporanic. As you know, my wife, Katie, she would just love to see your boy crash and burn. But my usual shout outs, love the show. To the producer amongst producers, our man Cam, thanks for what you do, Cam. That consistent, constant, weekly 16K sound. For those hearing my voice right now, we love you. I'm in a great mood. It's 71 and sunny, even though it's the witching hour. Thanks for joining us on our journey. It's been a blast. Hey, yeah, episode 158, as we are closing in to the 160s. Beautiful thing. But thanks for coming on the ride, folks. As I always say, leading the charge like a knight with a shield with a dragon with flames coming out of its mouth on it. You'll hear the J next week. So that's it for us this week here on episode 158. Shout out to our producer, Cam, for all the hard work he puts in the show because, as we know here on the program, that no beats the whiz. And to you, the J, clang, clang. Clang, clang. Still undefeated. Still the podcast tag team champions of the galaxies, if you will. So don't forget to join us next week for episode 159 and beyond. So stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you here next week on the Muscle Podcast. Swear, swear.